Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we don't know anything about anything, really, but we do like to drink gin. That's true. So we decided each week we would drink gin with an expert on something, and hopefully they can teach us something. Awesome. Lovely. Starter. Agreed. Today, Sarah. This week on Gin and Topic, we have Harriet Bartlett. Harriet Bartlett. And Harriet Bartlett is a PhD student at the Department of Zoology in Cambridge University. Oh, I actually know where that department is. Oh, mm. you do? I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she is working on um, researching about food production mm-hmm. and farming and sustainability and the sort of impact of food production on land use, biodiversity, and greenhouse gas emissions. Yes. And she is... quite a lot to take in in one. It was, wasn't it? She is looking at how we can farm Mm -hmm. for a more sustainable future. So the best way of farming for a sustainable future with growing populations. Uh Uh-huh. In the words of Greta, act like you care about your kids. No, it's love your kids above anything else. That's it. Get the quote right. I quite like the act like you care about your kids there. <laughs> yeah, act I like you care about your kids. Honestly, that is all of parenting. That's parenting what motto. I'm seeing. Yeah. <laughs> act like you care about Especially your kids. when in public. Yeah. Act like you care about your kids. Um, but also, as well as being a researcher at the university, she, she has... Jumpsuits. She does. Yeah. She has also started doing YouTube videos. Oh. And she does Harriet's Fussy Eaters. But she's sharing all of the research that would help you to be a bit more fussy about the way oh, right. the food you choose because of how it's farmed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to make it more sustainable. Yeah. So that's her. That's Harriet. Our question is... How can we farm more sustainably? More sustainably for a future with a growing population. Yes. Now, yes, the gin. So this gin is has been suggested to us by Harriet mm-hmm. um, as obviously she goes off researching in farms yes. and she was off in Scotland. She can tell That's us how Scotland. she got lovely. Got the gin, but got she the... was researching in Scotland mm-hmm. and the gin is Scottish. It is called Rock Rose, premium Scottish gin. It is. And... Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's my book. I just want to throw this out there. This is a book I own. I know, but I just saw it and I've dog-eared it. Oh, Oh my God, I didn't realise it was your book. I'll iron it later for you, shall I? Um, So, Rock Rose is number 81 in the 101 gins to try before you die. Bye. Oh, Ian Buxton, I thought you were correcting me. No, 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 but you have to say who it's by. Try before you buy. No, try before you die. Yeah. Yeah, by Ian Buxton. And Rock Rose, it says, a truly handcrafted Scottish gin that, in just its first few weeks, achieved quite a splash of attention and made a healthy start on the goal to sell 10,000 bottles a year. Can I just drink it? Yeah. Yeah, nice, good. So it should be light, fragrant, and floral, just with a most attractive very and distinctive nose. We are pairing it, of course, with Fever Tree Refreshing Light Tonic Water and a slice of orange today, because mm-hmm. Sarah was feeling a bit crazy. It was the first thing I grabbed from our fruit bag. Hmm. Oh, it does have a floral. It's too floral for me. Is it too floral for you? I'm, I'm not a floral gin person, I know. as you know. 
I don't mind it. I will drink it, but I think we've heard it wrong. We have, we have. I think we should have gone with a cucumber and pepper to tone yeah. down the floral yeah. instead of the orange. Absolutely. I think I'd like it then. But I think I'm just like, eh. It tastes like a gin that my mum would give me, not like my actual mum, but a figurative version yeah, of yeah. my mother. Yeah. Or a boy would buy me in a bar because you'd go, yeah, that one's got a nice bottle, I'll buy that gin. Yeah. That's my boy boys. Yeah. yeah. But... I think it's mm. got, I, I, maybe it's my nose being a bit weird, but I think it smells a bit sea-like. I kind of get that. I do kind of get that. It's just, it's a little on the floral side for me, personal preference. Absolutely. And that's an important thing to have. It is. Which it's is why bit... we don't side ourselves with any particular gin. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we can try them all and we can say if we like them it's or true. not. And other people can tell us I would otherwise. like to try it again with a different yeah, something yeah, absolutely. because then I might like it more but it is a bit floral for with me. the right pairings yeah, and I think that. that's the thing yeah I think that's the thing also about drink isn't it is that it depends what you feel what like mood, yeah. what mood you're in what time of year there might it be a is. day when I'm listening to jazz in the bath trying to pretend I'm a bitch that I'm not and this gym would be perfect for that mm. it's like Harrieting okay <laughs> Hello, hello. Hello, how are you? I've got a I'm good, how are you? Good. <laughs> nice to see you. And Harriet, Anya, on your Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, how are you doing? You have an amazing jumper. I want to steal that jumper. Thank you, it's actually my mum's, I took it. It's kind of retro. <laughs> I like that. Why don't you have clothes I can steal at the I don't moment? have anything you, you don't want have to steal. Anything steal at the um so I have told Anya that we are talking about mm-hmm. um how we can farm for well farm more sustainably for the future especially with growing population mm-hmm. um and in terms of biodiversity and um everything anything you were doing really well at making it sound like you knew what you're on about I was really impressed <laughs> And well, the benefit is I do know a little bit about yeah. it because Harriet and I have talked before and I've watched her amazing YouTube video. <laughs> so I do know a little, but you know, Whereas, as like ever, brain, I am clueless. <laughs> um, so we've talked about what we know and, you know, on your being clueless, apart from she knows about young farmers, which is quite a good thing. Yeah, I, I do know of young farmers. And if I said intensive farming to you, what would be your response? I know what the word intensive means. I know what the word farming means. You put them together and I go, lots of animals yeah. in not much space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for... A lot of connotations are, I mean, immediately what comes to mind are chickens. Yeah. In mm. barns all crammed together with no room to and move. And they all go a bit pale and like, a bit like um, parsnips when they go, I don't want to say that <laughs> about like chickens. No, but you know how they go a bit wobbly and a bit like grim looking? They kind of look like that colour. I'm, I'm going to stop talking. So mangy dead day. chickens is yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's been a very long day. <laughs> 
So I think, yeah, we sort of have some recollections of intensive farming mm-hmm. and we know what a farm looks like in terms of picture yeah. books. Uh, what <laughs> yeah. you, I literally grew up in Norfolk and you think I don't know what a farm <laughs> looks like. <laughs> but when I was young, I only learned from picture books where it's like this picture of this lovely farm with like a cow and a chicken and an apple yeah. tree and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But not actually knowing what farming is or how you do it mm-hmm. or the different types or anything like that. Um, and definitely not how you would make it more sustainable or less sustainable. True. Which is brilliant because we have you to tell us all about it. <laughs> and more importantly, obviously not actually more importantly, because we do need you to do this, but we have gin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the other important question is, do you also have gin? I do. I haven't made mine yet, but I've got all the components I need to make it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So we have made and had a little ch- taste. Mm-hmm. But um, so we've got, we've got the Rock Rose. We've put ours with a bit of orange and we're not sure we've done the right thing. Yeah, I, I think we should have got something different. They did. They told us that orange was the right thing to have it with. So oh, perfect. Well done. Really? Look yeah, at you guys. Um, so orange and uh, was it rosemary or thyme? I think it's rosemary, oh, but they said to I think I'd have liked rosemary, yeah. Toast I, it and then put it in. So have a little flame, run along it oh. and then pop it in. Apparently all the oils come out then. I think that sounds lush. I want that with this. Yes. I think that would be amazing. Well, let's have a taste. <laughs> Cheers. 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 I do like it more the more I drink it, I've got to say. Yeah, it's really quite nice. a savoury one, I find. It's not too kind of sweet. And that was why I quite liked it. It was a bit different. You know what? It would go really well with those little cheese nibbly biscuits you get at Christmas. I know it's not a sophisticated pairing, <laughs> but I can just imagine that being really good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> this podcast is more about the topic than the gin. <laughs> or the cheese I biscuits. Mean, and we get to drink the gin with mm-hmm. the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just want to have chat with you, drinking gin, mm-hmm. and talk about farming and how we make it sustainable because Absolutely. sustainability matters. Just a small problem then for us to yeah. solve. <laughs> a tiny little one. We can do that in half an hour. Easy. Yeah. yeah, and just drink gin for the rest of the time. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Harriet, where should we start? Firstly, I think, what got you into thinking about farming? I took a bit what... of a strange route, to be honest. Um, so I'm not from a farming background. I'm mm-hmm. from relatively urban Essex and mm-hmm. until I was probably about 16 17 thought my food was produced on those lovely storybook farms <laughs> um and I essentially I did one of those silly careers tests I don't know if you had to do them where you I fill did. in all these like ridiculous boxes and it comes back and tells you like you should be an engineer or like a greengrocer or whatever I didn't get an answer you didn't, didn't get an answer, answer. mine should be inconclusive <laughs> mine told me that I shouldn't have gone into any of the careers that I went into oh well there we go (laughs) well I started following mine because it said vet was my top option and no one else in my school got vet which is a bit strange Hmm. um and one of the teachers that I really looked up to said to me like oh I think you'd be a really good vet um and I'm a bit of like a I'm an over planner. So I loved the idea of having a plan and knowing what I wanted to do. So I sort of jumped on that bandwagon really, really quickly. Um, there you go. An and immediate bond has been struck between Anya and Harriet. <laughs> Everything in my life is colour coded to a ridiculous level. 
I love that. I love that. Yeah. So I decided to go along that path and it made a lot of sense. Like I loved animals. I liked kind of fixing things. Um, and so my first kind of experience of farming and proper farming um, was lambing, um, oh, right, which yeah. is being thrown quite in the deep end, going to a sheep farm when mm-hmm. they are having babies and helping them have their babies. Wow. Um, yeah, that and that was basically the end. first time I've been on a farm. Wow. And so when you say helping, were you literally hands on helping, pulling pulling babies out? Yep. Oh, I couldn't do that. No way. Did it put you off then? (laughs) I I loved it. I don't know. It's a bit of a weird thing to say, but it was so rewarding that like you find a Mm. sheep that's in trouble. And in two minutes, you've saved its life and the lamb's life. And it's Mm. not like super difficult work. Obviously, you've got to be trained how to do it. But like, that's a really lovely thing to do. And it is a bit like gooey and everything. (laughs) But you also have a little nursery of lambs of ones that either they lost the mum or the mum didn't like them or whatever. Mm. That you hand feed every day and they basically associate you with being their mum. And they'll bar and run up to you and jump all over you. That's really really cute. (laughs) Um, And then where did I go from there? Um, So then I went to vet school and the plan was to be a farm vet. Um, so I'd also then got experience on like a dairy farm and during vet school I'd worked on like a beef farm uh, Mm -hmm. pig farm because you have to do all these different kinds of placements Mm -hmm. and then I thought I was going to focus mostly on kind of animal welfare and antibiotic resistance because they're the big issues in livestock farming um, the big kind of sustainability issues Mm -hmm. and in my third year in Cambridge you do something a bit strange where you take a different subject for a year and it's six years rather than five years So then I studied zoology and I did like conservation, environmental impacts Mm -hmm. and learned about firstly, the big impact of our farming systems on the environment. Mm -hmm. And secondly, that the proposed way to reduce the impact was kind of to intensify. So it was to increase the yields of our livestock systems because that was better for biodiversity. But we assume that's much worse for welfare, antibiotic use and loads of other things. Yeah. But there's actually, there's not much information on this kind of trade-off, this inevitable compromise. Mm -hmm. Um, So people kind of assume it to be true, but it's mostly really based on hearsay and assumptions. People haven't really measured it well. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I learned that, I asked a lot of questions um, and sort of decided that I'd found my niche. I found the thing that I wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm measuring and the biodiversity impacts, the carbon footprints, the animal welfare, the antibiotic use on pig farms in particular, my favorite animals. Um, and I'm doing that all the way from kind of organic regenerative systems to kind of the indoor intensive ones yeah. um, in the UK and Brazil to see if there are these trade-offs and we have to pick the environment or the welfare, or actually we can have these systems that are good for everything. Mm-hmm. Which is the dream. With you. Yeah. That's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because we are being bombarded at the moment with um don't eat meat, uh eat something in, else entirely. Um, but also then being told, but hang on, you have to be really careful what you replace it with, because that's also using up so much land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you end up going, What can I eat that's yeah. going to be good for the planet but also good for me as a human being that mm-hmm. could do with some food you know <laughs> Gotta eat. can't live on water eat. alone <laughs> yeah so it's so, really difficult to make these decisions 
Mm. Um, and I mean, we know that meat is some of the highest impact foods that we have. So reducing that and trying to choose better options is a great um, way of doing that. Um, and yeah, we do have to be careful with what we're substituting it for. Um, but usually plant-based foods still have much lower impacts than animal-based foods, um, even if they are being transported large distances, for example. Um, but ideally, we want to choose foods that are produced in the right way, in the right places, at the right levels. Um, and this is something that is going to change throughout the year and over time as we get better and worse at things. Mm. Um, so that's something that's a bit challenging to get your head around that science and the fact that it's going to be changing and shifting. And can you help us get <laughs> our head around that science? Because you mm. mentioned, you know, the high yield. Mm. You mentioned, you know, the different types of farming from organic to mm-hmm. you mentioned you'd mentioned one word that I'd never heard of before and I can't remember what it is because of light brain excellent well done. Oh, can't regenerative like did I say regenerative yes regenerative <laughs> so I have no idea what those things mean and again being bombarded by stuff we're always told you know yes eat less meat eat local eat organic you know but mm-hmm. don't know what half any of it means, of it means <laughs> yeah. what how they're how they are done, what's good, etc. So can you help us with that, the differences between all those different types of farming methods? Yeah, yeah. So the questions about what's the difference between sort of organic versus um, regenerative, that word I threw in, versus kind of RSPCA assured versus a red tractor versus no kind of label. Mm-hmm. Um, so particularly when it comes to animal products, um, organic um, is like a certification body, um, so you have to be certified and checked regularly to have your your products as being organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all kinds of regulations about how you have to keep the animals. So, for example, in the UK, your pigs have to be outdoors if they're mm-hmm. organic. Um, and other big regulations are about what you feed them, so you can't feed them genetically modified feeds. Right. Um, and in the UK a big part of both poultry and pig diets is Mm -hmm. soya, which is often genetically modified. So a big challenge is getting a protein source for organic Mm -hmm. animals. Um, And another big difference is the antibiotic use is more kind of strictly regulated. Um, So there's these withdrawal periods. So you give the animals the antibiotics and you have to wait a certain amount of time before the animal can go to slaughter and be turned into meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and in organic systems, they're increased. So you have to wait a longer period of time before the animal can go to slaughter or it's really strictly governed how much you can use and you shouldn't be using it sort of preventatively. So if you think the risk of a bacterial disease is really high, um, it's much more difficult to use antibiotics in advance of them showing symptoms. In organic so are you saying that in some farming, then we might, that the antibiotics are given as, as a trying to stop things from happening. You know, you don't give it as a medicinal reason. It's just there as a sort of standard annual sort of top up or something <laughs> like that. Again, this sort of depends. It depends on the different labelings and it depends a lot on the country. Mm. Um, so in the UK, we have pretty strict regulations around antibiotic use, but you are allowed to use antibiotics if the risk is perceived to be high enough. So you had some animals infected here, for example, and you knew it was respiratory disease, you could potentially treat more animals in the same building. Mm -hmm. Um, But you need a vet's approval to use antibiotics in the UK. 
Um, but in somewhere like Brazil that I also assess, they use antibiotics as growth promotion. Um, nice. So in pigs and chickens, if you give them antibiotics, they gain more weight per kilo of feed that they eat. Oh, yeah, so which is wild. Yeah. yeah. And they found it out because I think oh. it was meant to be, I don't know the exact story, but it was like downstream of a plant that was making antibiotics. The fish got really big. Oh. So that's how they discovered this effect. Um, and it's a really interesting, like mm. almost dilemma because that would reduce the carbon footprint and the land use yeah. hypothetically if they're more efficient. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm now yeah. thinking of um, George's marvelous medicine. Do you remember? Oh, he George? makes them all bigger. He does. He was doing that to make it easier for his family as well. Well, oh. he wasn't. He was well, trying, he to, get rid of his trying to get rid of his grandmother. But that was also a side effect that they found very helpful for was, his family. Yeah. It was like, great, we can make loads Massive of money. Massive animals. Yes. Antibiotic oh. use. There you go. Unsustainable antibiotic use. <laughs> so there are pluses to something which sounds when you first hear it a very negative thing if the plus and all you care about is kind of animal growth yeah the big negative is antibiotic resistance yeah Mm -hmm. and it could be both a problem in the animals themselves but also it could transfer into people Mm -hmm. um and it's been estimated that it's by 2050 they reckon 10 million people a year are going to be dying from antibiotic resistance because we cannot treat those bacterial diseases because resistance has come Mm -hmm from human misuse of antibiotics, but also misuse in our livestock. So that's organic, but you also mentioned the red tractor and RSPCA. Now I've heard of them. I could not tell you what they actually mean. Yeah, so um, at RSPCA, it's essentially a welfare certification that again, Mm -hmm. you have to have someone that's approved to come around and check your animals regularly. And that is how you would get that certification. So as long as on that day, you're being really kind to your pigs (laughs) and your pigs are looking quite happy, then you get the certification. (laughs) Hopefully, but also there are things that you can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, So an example would be, um, uh, what's a good example? Farrowing crates. Um, So these are kind of, they're almost like a metal kind of cage thing that you put the sow, the pregnant pig in. Right. when she's just about to give birth and this lets her stand up and lie down but she can't turn around she can't move any more than that it's sort of that restrictive um and there's sort of welfare problems with that with the sour that she can't kind of nest mm. she can't express her natural behaviors but it's designed to stop her lying on her piglets because that's right. the sort of leading cause of mortality if she's not um in that in that crate Whereas in RSPCA assured, you can't use sort of the really restrictive crates. Mm. They're not mm-hmm. permitted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wouldn't get certified if they came onto your farm and found animals in, in those crates. Mm-hmm. So then again, there's the trade-off, as you said, that you've got a prevention of something that means that the animal is a bit happier because they're able to show their natural behaviours, but then they might squish their little piglets, which means you're not getting as many out. And then you're having to feed more animals and grow more animals to get more meat to feed us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then Red Tractor is UK produced. Um, that's, That's the main part of Red Tractor. Again, you have to be sort of checked regularly and there are different standards that you'd have to abide by. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do have producers that are in the UK that wouldn't be Red Tractor and that would be they're not paying for this person to come and certify them. Mm, yeah. Um, and it could be that they're not meeting certain standards. 
Um, but I've been to quite a few that actually they do meet retractor standards. They just don't need that level of certification for the supermarket mm-hmm. they're supplying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then often you'd get um, things that aren't any of those that say they're from, for example, Denmark is mm-hmm. quite a common one. Bacon from Denmark is quite a common thing we find in our supermarkets. Yeah. Um, and they have a whole different um, level of restrictions and regulations. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really complex. Yeah. So how... <laughs> How is it that, you know, because your your job, what you do is you research all of those things, all those complexities to help us to farm for a better farming future. Mm-hmm. What yeah. are all the things that you look at then as being the things that we have to do or the things we have to change to make it better farming? Yeah, well, I think what we really need to be doing is we need to be looking firstly at the yield, how much land we need to produce the amount of food that we need. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we know that for biodiversity, the really, really important thing is to stop expanding our cropland and if possible, return some of that to nature. Mm -hmm. Um, So we really, really need to look at yields and how we can sustainably increase yields on existing farmland. And so basically just sort of growing more on less space. Exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of what a lot of people would associate with intensifying. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think that's a bad thing. But really, if you just think about we've only got a finite amount of land, we're already using about half of all sort of ice free land for farming. And if we want to keep things like our forests, then we really need to stop yeah. that expansion and feed a hell of a lot more people in the not too distant future. So is the answer just that we need to stop having so many people? Was Thanos correct? <laughs> Not in the way you went about it, but in saying if we reduced our population by half, it would be better. Um, I mean, I think potentially, but actually there's, again, a lot of debate around this. And a lot of people would argue that the big problem really is that we're eating too much and too much Mm -hmm. of the wrong things. And actually, we could feed a much larger population sustainably if we were eating the right things and not wasting food. You can ask Sarah how she feels about food waste because mm-hmm. I don't want to go into that rant. <laughs> well, I never waste food and you know this. I eat everything. Well, that's one of, one of my favourite soups is fridge soup. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Anything you find in the fridge, put it in Any a veg. Soup. I just know. had a fridge pizza. That's what I did. Everything was on the pizza. Perfect. Yay. Ideal. <laughs> okay, so we've got to increase our yield, but we also then have that trade-off that if you're going to increase more growing more things on a small amount of space then you've got chickens for example in or pigs in that small space which isn't so good again this balance between what's good for the future for sustainable planet what's good for the animal yeah and I think a big issue is that we really don't have the information right now that mm-hmm. can tell you how all of those different versions of those products vary in these different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, some have different animal welfare regulations, but really we want to know kind of animal welfare outcomes, like how many issues were there actually on that farm? Ideally, well, like, I'd love to... Like, you know, the construction sites, you know, when they've got however many accidents that they've had, <laughs> you know, having something like that. It's like, you know, <laughs> mal- malformed animals in the last... Five. <laughs> We'd also, I'd love to see like a carbon footprint that is ideally specific to that farm or that farm type if, if it was too difficult. Um, and I'd like to see how much, how many antibiotics with different types and how much they're using. And you could imagine a kind of simple traffic light type thing and you could be like, yeah. oh, green welfare, oh, red carbon <laughs> footprint, oh, whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make those decisions because we really actually can't say that organic is this compared to RSPCA short is this compared to conventional or whatever. Um, we think they're probably likely to be overlapping, um, but there's no way at the moment you could say and specifically state the differences between these. People are starting to really care about this. And I think um, the retailers are definitely listening and lots of people are talking about these things. Um, So I could see in the not too distant future more information about our food so we can make those specific choices about the things we care about. It would be brilliant if I could look at something and go, okay, this is something I don't feel bad buying. It may not have the best comfort print. It may not have the best welfare, but it's somewhere at a level which I can say, yep, I deem that acceptable. And it's in a price range that I can afford. Be amazing. Yeah. And I should say that the aim of my PhD in my life at the moment is to figure out if a particular type of pig system Mm -hmm. is good in all those ways. Mm. But you'll have to wait probably a few more months at least before I can tell you the answer to that. <laughs> well, tell us what you found so far then, because you, um, you've been doing the research here in this country, but also in Brazil. Why mm-hmm. here in Brazil as a contrast? Because Brazil is sunny and lovely. Well, yes, that, that might be true. And that's I would misled. I believe that too. And I went it's in Brazilian not. winter and went to the south. And it was minus two, <laughs> minus three. Oh, no. And I brought all my summer clothes. No. And for biosecurity, I had to take showers in and out of the farms. And they often <gasps> didn't have hot water. It was really oh. not the Brazil I thought I was going to. Um, so I was actually meant to be doing it in China originally, mm. which is half um, home to over half the world's pigs, or was before mm. African swine fever, which I don't know if you heard of. Vague. But it's yeah. essentially... Yeah, a virus um, that's kind of taken over the Chinese pig herd. Um, and by some estimates, has like killed potentially up to half. So a quarter wow. of the world's pigs is unbelievable. Mm. Um, but essentially, I was meant to be going out there for my field work. Two days before I was due to go was the first outbreak. Um, oh. So that was cancelled. Mm-hmm. So my PhD has been a bit of a story of pandemics. But anyway, <laughs> wow. um, the next option um, in terms of like the largest producers, the United States, and then the third is Brazil. And basically, I needed for for this uh, for this study, I need like a really broad range of pig systems. So I need like from kind of the organic kind of systems all the way to kind of the quite intensive indoor systems. Um, and there's more of a variety in Brazil than there is in the United States. Um, and I also wanted to go to somewhere that has really different regulations to the UK, so kind of complemented it. And the United States does too, but in Brazil it's probably more different. And so they have really like contrasting systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do things that aren't permitted in the UK. Um, so pigs are my favorite animal too. So there wasn't really a choice in it, but actually there was sort of scientific logic as well, or I tell mm-hmm. myself there was. Um, and that's because firstly, in terms of like the environmental impacts, like carbon footprints, impacts on biodiversity, they've kind of got less attention because most of it's gone to the ruminants, the cows and the sheep mm-hmm. um, because mm. of the methane they produce, whereas pigs yeah. don't produce. They produce a little bit, but not very much methane. So their carbon footprint and their land footprint is quite a lot lower. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, because of that, say we should switch from beef and lamb to kind of poultry and, and pork because mm-hmm. of that. Uh, but it means it's been less researched. Um, but actually, like a huge amount of their footprint comes from the feed that they eat. Mm, and right. things like soy that I mentioned earlier has a role in kind of direct or indirect deforestation. And there's lots of kind of sustainability issues there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the most eaten meat in the world by weight. 
So it accounts oh. for about 37% of the meat that we eat and oh. a big part due to China. So they, of all yeah, of that, half of, course, of the world's yeah. pigs, they were a net importer on top of that. Yeah. So they eat a lot of pork. And and so looking at all those different types of farming, you're, so your research must be quite difficult because, as you said, there's all these sort of complex mm-hmm. complexities. So each farm you visit, are they completely different? Yeah, really, really different. Like even ones that would be that same label on the supermarket shelf are really different. So if we take the example of pigs, our favorite mm-hmm. animals, and the UK, um, then so about 45%, so almost half of our breeding females, our sows, are outdoors, so free range. Yeah. Um, whereas the rest oh, of the Oh, and this is indoors. what you see on food. Like if I'm buying bacon, I will see there'll be bacon, then there'll be outdoor bread. Yes. And then there'll be free range. Yes. And then all the different price ranges, you know, so yeah, what's, what's that different? What is, so some of the sales will be outdoor. Yeah. So about half of our sales, just under half of our sales in the UK outdoors. And if you've ever driven past them, you might see the little like metal tin arc. Yes. That's what yeah. they're in. Loads of Norfolk. I always Loads kind of, Norfolk. like, right, I'm going to bear with me when I say this, but as a kid, I always thought they were like the pig's bedrooms. And so I would imagine the pigs going in there were like a little duvet kind of thing. They have it, straw. Yeah, same thing. It's pretty much the same. Oh, that blankets. makes me so happy because I was always like, oh, it's like their little bedroom. It's a little house. Yeah. And that'll be where they have their piglets, the outdoor ones. Oh, okay. And you might see kind of bigger kind of tenty ones and they can be where the sows are when they haven't got piglets, when they're pregnant or when the piglets are taken too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's your kind of outdoor breeding system. Mm-hmm. And then your indoor breeding system, um, when the sows are pregnant, but they're not giving birth or not soon to give birth, they'll be in these kind of group pens. Mm-hmm. So often they'd have like a concrete floor um, and they can have straw and bedding. And then there's another type of system that's also indoor and they have what we'd call a slatted floor. And they're often mm-hmm. viewed to be more kind of intensive. But again, I don't like the word intensive but anyway. Um, so it's got a slatted floor and they wouldn't have any bedding. Um, and then when they give birth, they will be moved usually into one of these farrowing crates that I described earlier, or there's some different systems where it'd be like a freedom farrowing crate where they can move a little bit more. Mm. Um, and sometimes you get weird combinations of the two where they'd go outside for a bit and come inside for a bit. Um, but those are like the classic systems. Is there any way to actually tell if the pigs are happier in any of them? Can we tell? So. Part of what I do when I go onto every farm is I do a really detailed welfare assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically a way of putting a number, giving them a score out of 100. And to do it, it takes like several hours. You have to be like trained mm-hmm. and certified and you only get certified when you get the same scores as everyone else in this method. Mm-hmm. And it basically involves me going in and randomly picking animals and checking and watching their behavior and checking they're not being aggressive, checking that mm-hmm. they have like positive interactions. They're like playing and they're busy. Um, I check them for like 15 different health problems, mm-hmm. things like lameness to kind of potentially genetic problems if they're coughing and sneezing, if they've got any wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also ask the manager about if there's any kind of practices they do that could have impacts on welfare. So it's mm-hmm. things like docking tails or yeah. um, teeth clipping, teeth grinding. It's one of those things that there's a lot of work on at the moment in the pig industry. A lot of people want us to stop docking tails. 
Um, but really, we can only really stop doing that if we can prevent the tail biting. Mm, yeah. Because um, it can just, it's just awful. And mm, again, yeah. you waste the meat in the end. So it's even worse that you've gone through the suffering and then you don't even get sort of a product. Mm. Um, but docking in most cases is sort of relatively effective. You can still get yeah. tail biting when they're docked. Mm. Um, but then some farming systems don't do it. So in organic systems, you're not allowed to tail dock. And the teeth grinding you'd grind the bottoms off so that they're less sharp um because basically what happens is when they're kind of on the sow they're feeding um mm. they can be quite kind of competitive so firstly they'll like they can bite each other and they get these kind of cheek wounds um, and the second thing is they can damage the teeth but so to prevent damage to the sow but also to prevent damage to each other mm-hmm. they'll grind them down to make them less sharp yeah and so and is that also, as you said, that's part of because of the welfare that might not be ideal that mm-hmm. therefore causes more of that behaviour? Yeah, yeah. And just any kind of mutilation, they'd call it, um, is has sort of a negative welfare um, sort of score that would be associated with it. Um, but I should say that tail docking has a much smaller penalty than tail biting because tail yeah. biting is much, much worse yeah, in the end of the day yeah. in terms of the actual pain for the animal and the suffering Mm -hmm. um so it's better to do the tail docking if it's preventing tail biting yeah right and so if we've got this balance then you know we're listening to this and we're going oh these poor pigs you know so our emotional response is that we'd want the welfare to be higher and therefore we'd want happier outdoor pigs but as you said then the carbon 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 footprint See, i'm coming up with like really drink stupid more comments. you just can't speak so it's a fun it's, it's a yeah trade off <laughs> um so the carbon footprint might then go higher because you're then fulfilling your emotional need for happy pigs mm. how would we then bring the carbon footprint down but still have happy pigs mm-hmm. you can have happy pigs indoors um and I mean again I've got to process all my data but I've been to some really good indoor farms and some not so good outdoor farms so it's not this simple clear-cut outdoor high welfare Mm -hmm. indoor poor welfare um so how can we reduce carbon footprints um so a big part about 60 percent of the footprint from our pigs is from their feed so it's what we're feeding them but really importantly how much we're feeding them Mm -hmm. Um, So we call it a feed conversion ratio, which is the kilos of feed to produce a kilo of pork or a kilo of pig. Um, And generally, indoor systems have better feed conversion ratios than outdoor systems. And it's because outdoor systems, I mean, they've got they move around more. They've got to regulate their temperature for starters. um, And so they need more food. Um, But again, it's not clear cut, but it's what we feed them as well. Um, so there are some systems that feed kind of food waste products. Um, so yeah. you're not allowed to feed lots of types of, of food waste because of the disease risk in the UK. But there are certain farms that can use certain things that they can guarantee haven't come into contact with like animal products. So they're not going to carry diseases to the pigs. But there have been studies that have shown that it could potentially really reduce the carbon footprint and the land footprint of our pork if we did that. And the other thing is then about farming, what else they're fed in a higher yield that you said mm-hmm. so how can we do that because surely i i would think that farmers put most onto their field anyway that they could grow mm. so i think we need to start firstly rewarding people for higher yields 
um, there's a lot of like how subsidies work and it's based on kind of areas of land rather than actually yield, um, which is all changing at the moment anyway. So potentially that could be a really good way of doing it. Yeah, because of the EU subsidies. Right, I've finally got a point where I can be clever in this and not a dumb shit because I've only been a dumb shit this episode. <laughs> so copywriting, year one, we had to write a little article um, about agriculture and all the subsidies from the EU that were going to go away with Brexit, which obviously we've now gone through. I won't talk about my politics. We're not going to go there. But the impacts of that on looking at farming and the rewards they get for certain things must now be massively changing, which then must affect how you're studying things because that's going to change it all over again. Yeah. So actually, I mean, in terms of who receives subsidies, pig producers don't receive that much. They do get some, um, but nothing compared to sort of the really big landowners and and other producers. So it hasn't affected much of what I need to change, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely could be a way of sort of incentivizing these high yields. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, an example in Brazil is that obviously they're expanding the agricultural areas. They're burning yeah. down or cutting down parts of forests. And Which we don't love. We don't love that. And <laughs> if we were to increase yields, we could really limit that. Um, so it's looking at making sort of less land available and you have to re- increase those yields rather than just expanding more to produce more. Um, so I was shown a picture the other day of sweet corn, the yes. plant. And yeah, I know it's a plant. Not- I know I've been dumb this week, Sarah. <laughs> on the animal. I mean, <laughs> honestly, honestly the, the one we're doing about pigs is the episode I felt dumbest on, but I know what I sweet corn know. is. The sweet corn, the plant, not the... The no, not the actual cob, but the right, actual the plant. plant. So I was showing the picture of um, what it used to be, yeah, which used to look like a grass, purple carrots, with but it had like tiny, tiny little cobs that were a bit more like um, uh, I can't think of an, like almost like a little flower size and real sticky outy. Uh, yeah sort of limbs to these plants <laughs> so like you didn't get much cob to a plant right and that over the years they've been breeding the to make them bigger, to make them bigger. Yeah. i mean this yeah. was this is a long time ago this isn't a modern thing because the vegetables are quite big and strong and so now we have this real tall not so spread out plant no, that then has cool. really good cobs mm. so you can bit more in and we've done this with everything we've done it with our animals as well have we yeah you need to read um tamed alice roberts have you heard of it it's about like 10 species that change the world and they do they have one on rice and one on wheat that are exactly what you're talking about there okay we also talk about like where our cows came from and the chicken and what the chicken used to look like so we can we still do this more with with the crops that we would feed pigs without going causing issues with what we'd be feeding them i'm just thinking of the outcry that would usually come with genetically modified yeah. um, plants yeah. even though we've been genetically modifying things naturally for yeah we've years. been selecting yeah and i mean i'm not a crop expert so i can't comment too much on the crop stuff but potentially with our pigs like if you ask any pig breeder, they choose, if anyone's breeding the breeding animals, they choose them based on certain characteristics. And so you're selecting for these characteristics and it's changing constantly. And I often go to a farm, they're like, oh, we're trying the new blah, blah, blah line of pigs this time. And then we'll try a new blah, blah, blah line of pigs. 
that's good for this thing versus good for this thing. And they're what different things would they be good at? So there's one that's like <laughs> you could just focus just Swimming on athletic that. pigs. <laughs> this this like, one's good at the high jump. This one's I'm like, good is at it one that's really good, good at, at like procreating, or is it one that True. tastes really yes, good? Yes, now you're sounding good. Thank you. All of the above. Rather than me. Really? I know ah! someone that's selecting just for like taste. And there was a big issue with we were selecting just for like sows that produce loads and loads of piglets rather than high quality piglets. Mm-hmm. So now we're shifting towards like higher quality but less. They can look at a pig and go, right, this is what it's been really good at when we've, you know, gone to this stage. And then people will sort of go, oh, yeah, that's what I want my pigs to be. And they'll choose to then breed those pigs or keep yeah. those pigs. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a bit of a digression. But one of my favorite things that I came across is they do these magazines for like particularly beef farming where they show you like the males and they're just like these like super muscly bulls, like flexing their muscles in these pictures. And then they show you pictures of the different calves that have come from the bulls. So you can like judge the quality and that's how you choose to use his, his sperm. That is so cool. It's like a catalog, like choosing clothes or whatever you're choosing. And all of them are just like really grumpy and like muscly. One of them's holding a fish because that's what all the boys are. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant! No, no, I, I love a digression. <laughs> oh, God, they do have them for pigs as well, but the cow ones are particularly magnificent. When I can't sleep oh, at no, night, I'm now going to lie in bed imagining this catalogue full of ridiculous <laughs> cows. <laughs> How brilliant! Oh, that's amazing. So, what's been the best? parts of your research then for what are the most or most interesting things that you found through going to all of the different farms um I think something that's really interesting that's sort of relatively new commercially in the UK is putting our animals in like forested systems um yeah no I've read about this there's this there's this sort of it, you know, like the whole rewilding everything. No, yourself included. <laughs> I try and avoid all that bullshit. I'm honest, Sarah, but okay, yeah, carry on. There, I've been reading lots about farms that are going, have been sort of going back to just putting them in woodlands. They oh, so like that actually just putting them in woods, and... like like truffle hunting pigs <laughs> in woods. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, happy pigs in woods. Oh, that's and quite... potentially, I mean, we don't want to do this if it's a really low yield. That's yeah. the big thing. Um, but potentially they could be a system that is storing quite a lot of carbon because you've still got your trees there. Yeah. Um, it could be good for biodiversity as long as the pigs aren't, because like some disturbance can be good in some systems, but you don't yeah. want them. If there's too many, it could be a negative thing potentially. Um, some people say that they get quite a lot of food from the kind of foraging. So maybe oh, you feed yeah, them true, less, yeah. maybe the carbon footprint could be lower. And Potentially the welfare could be really good because they have so much exploring to do that they're constantly yeah. kind of busy. Perfectly so potentially it could be really good, but, but it's I mean, new. there's not enough of them and we haven't measured them well. So mm. it's kind of something in the back of my head that is, if this grew, then we could measure it and it could be really good. But equally, potentially they have to live longer or for whatever reason, mm. they're not as good as we think they could be. Mm. But that could be exciting. And so if you were to create you know if we were to create the most ideal farm and farming way perfect the world. perfect world that we talked about what would it be <laughs> oh this is so difficult um what would it be I mean I think 
is it really cop out answer to say that I don't know yet, but I might know soon. No, I think I, I, I'm a scientist. I need to have the data to make the decision and I don't have it yet. So I can't say we should all be doing this thing, but mm. I'd want a sustainable high yield system that had good welfare, wasn't dependent on antibiotics and didn't mm. use very much land. What would then be the ideal if walk into a supermarket? What would we ideally want to see then to help us to make those decisions? Um, I would like to see a farm specific carbon footprint. So for that specific farm, not just for that farm type, because I think they can vary quite a lot. Um, And it would be the kilos of carbon dioxide equivalents per kilo of pork. I want to know like the impact on biodiversity. And so we talked about a little bit, but I want to know the farm yield. So how much land they need to produce that product. Yield is really, really critical um, because particularly looking forward, we need to be producing so much food. We really don't have the land for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that to minimise wild species extinctions, we really, it'd be better to kind of have this high yield farming and then have intact habitat for nature rather mm-hmm. than like using the same piece of land for nature and for farming. Because like lots of species need that intact like forest for example um, so like limiting the land is really really important for that um, but on even these high yield farms you can have things that are good for biodiversity they don't have to be like completely mm-hmm. empty um, so it'd be nice to know those kinds of things as well and there could be a kind of system mm. that gives them like a plus or like a square out of five or something depending on what they're doing um, but if they're doing things good for biodiversity on their farmed land, it shouldn't be at the expense of yield. It shouldn't mean that they need to expand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd want to know a farm-specific welfare score, some kind of scale that someone had gone and assessed that was sort of independent. Um, and so you could see small differences between farms that would have the same mm-hmm. label on them. And I'd like to see how much antibiotic they're using. Mm. All of those things could have a kind of traffic light um, Mm. that you could see someone could either set levels for them um, or even better, they could be benchmarked against other farms. So to be in the the top third, you had to be the top third of farms in that reporting year, for example, Um, or just an arbitrary like red to green. And and the the point of the benchmarking would be then there's the competition to be Mm-hmm. better, better. Yeah. healthy competition is always good mm-hmm. yeah and farmers love a bit of competition they do all their shows don't they oh yeah true yeah <laughs> I hadn't thought of that and it'll be a lot about obviously getting farmers on board and having enough consumer pressure that we really want to know this because you can imagine that some people would be resistant to that yeah well is there anything that we can do as consumers to put that pressure on then as well right yeah angry yeah letters? exactly contact them mm-hmm. um so I would contact, try and find the person that's in charge of sustainability at your supermarkets. You can ask the manager, you can ask the mm-hmm. staff and enough people are doing this. It's going to have those ripples that people want to know this. And as long as we keep pushing them, I think <laughs> it will come. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, Harriet. It's been lovely. And do you know, the more I've drunk, the The more I like it. It's gone down very smoothly. It has gone down really well. And the orange works. It did. It needed time to infuse, but once it it had infused, it was there. Yeah, really. If you need to drink four of them, it's the gin to choose. (laughs) I don't think my brain can handle four gins. So, yeah, thank you for the recommendation of the gin. Really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, 
Yes. What have we learned? I've learned that pig farming is bloody complicated and there's lots of different kinds. And actually, when we go to the supermarkets, it's not that easy to make the good choice that we think it might be. Yeah, OK, there's the wrap up. All done. Are you impressed? Yeah. You asked for a I'm really one. impressed. Thank you. Really impressed. I also learned that I'm not 100% sure that pigs can eat whole human body, but they can bite each other's tails off. Yeah, they can be mm-hmm. pretty foul to each other. They can. Um and I found that really interesting about the different types of ways that you can farm, but also not just different, no. but the fact that they can move around. So you can start with a pig that's bred outdoors, yeah. and then that pig can move to an indoor system, but it could with also move to a concrete and slatted or a slatted, and they can yeah. be moving all around, all over the place. And we don't know anything about it. No. And you don't see any of that on the packaging. No. But that there's a lot of stuff we could have on the packaging, but it might be hard to make it look aesthetically pleasing, but we should have it because it's important. Totally, totally. And the things that are important is the animal welfare. Yes, carbon um, footprint. The carbon footprint and not just on the... And and that carbon footprint is important, not just for how much space the pig but is what using, eating. but what they're eating and where that's coming See, from. I learned stuff. And... I learned about antibiotic use. Yes, who knew? And knew they were using, but didn't realise there were so many different types and that actually you'd want some antibiotic use, but not so much. Uh And that actually we need to be more educated than that in order to buy the things that we want to buy and make those choices. And most importantly, I learned that I want Harriet slash her mum's wardrobe yeah just throwing out there her jumper was really cool yeah I felt really, like really cool. yeah. so i'm gonna write a letter i think to a supermarket yeah yeah might write an email instead of a letter a bit old-fashioned to write a letter yeah 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 i think that's what i meant i also learned the rock rose is nice you know what yeah I with was, orange at first i was not keen the more i drink of it the more i liked it that could just be because i was drinking but who knows and i am desperate to find out if it is rosemary all time. I think it must be rosemary because it's rosemary. more woody. I really want to try that because that burn it. bloody good. Put it in. Yeah. So I'm going to do that soon. Yeah. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you, Harriet. Super stuff. Excellent. And thank you, pigs. Thank you, pigs. Sarah, shall I tell them where they can find us? I think you ought to, because you're the young person, so you know where we can be found. <laughs> True. You can find us on Twitter at topic gin and the same on instagram yeah and that's all wrong because facebook said in the water tiktok neither of us are young enough for and i forget what other ones there are we've got a website we do have a website we have gin and topic.com photos by matthew richard yeah <laughs>